welcome everybody to be part of the plan. I am Ann Quaintance, Chief Government Affairs Officer of Meals on Wheels San Francisco and co-chair of the Long-Term Care Coordinating Council of San Francisco. Okay, and my name is Fiona Hizzi. I serve as the Director of System Change at Independent Women Resource Center, San Francisco, and I co-chair the Dignity Fund Coalition. We are so excited that you have all joined us here today. We are so thrilled that you're here in person and that there are hundreds more of us joining via live stream, whether they're at home, Hello to you at home, at work, at a senior center, all throughout San Francisco. Um, and we, so, okay, so um, I'm going to give you a bit of background on the Dignity Fund Coalition and some of the um, previous events that we've done. So the Dignity Fund Coalition is a coalition of non-profit organizations and community groups and we advocate to seek um, solutions for issues that face seniors, adults with disabilities, those living with chronic illnesses, and veterans. Now, you may have attended um, a Dignity Fund Coalition event in the past. Um, if you remember back in April, we did the largest and most accessible um, mayoral town hall of the town hall season. And then back in January, when Mayor London Reed became mayor, we did a town hall forum style event with her to sort of drill down on issues that affect folks with disabilities and seniors. So we hope to continue that conversation uh, around the master plan with today's event. And the Long-Term Care Coordinating Council is a 40-member advisory body appointed by the mayors of San Francisco to coordinate long-term care throughout the city and county. We want to sincerely thank the Metafund and the SCAN Foundation for supporting the event today and to all of our panelists for bringing their expertise to this very important conversation. Most of all, we really want to thank all of you for participating in the conversation. We know that there is a better future for all Californians if we work on this together. A few housekeeping items. I do think Mark just mentioned in the beginning, just to make sure we all know, that there is ASL interpretation right here, that we do have Spanish and Chinese uh, systems uh, devices over here, as well as assisted listening devices to my left. Uh, the bathrooms are behind the escalator towards the entrance of when you came in. And Mark also mentioned what's very important is that we do have Q&A cards. And so we have volunteer staff that are going to be walking around. Um, so please take the opportunity to fill those out and turn those back into the volunteer staff. We have the honor of introducing our first speaker today, Janet Spears. Many of you know Janet. She is the CEO of Metafun. Metafun was established in 1998 really dedicated to advancing the health and wellness of San Francisco's aging population. 
Janet's, under her leadership, has set an audacious vision for Metafund, which is to really see an inclusive, a connected, a intergenerational, a thriving and healthy San Francisco for all. Before joining Metafund, Janet was Chief Operating Officer at East Bay Community Foundation, and before that, she had a 23-year career at AT&T as Sales Vice President. Janet now serves as Commissioner of San Francisco's Aging and Adult Services Commission, and is also on the board of Northern California Grantmakers, as well as University of the Pacific, which is her alma mater. So please help me, join me in welcoming Janet Spears to the stage. What a great group we have here today. Good afternoon, good afternoon, good afternoon. And thank you so much for being here. Welcome to our beautiful city of San Francisco. What a gorgeous day we have here today. It is September, it is a wonderful time to be in the city. I'm Janet Spears, as you heard, and for the past three years, I've had the pleasure of leading San Francisco's Metafund, where our mission is to improve the health of San Franciscans, and particularly the older population and those furthest from access and opportunity. As Fiona and Anne mentioned, I have recently had the pleasure and honor of being appointed to the Department of Aging and Adult Services Commission, where we are a hand for the Department of Aging and Adult Services where we oversee the city's services related to older adults and adults with disabilities. Let me start by saying, so I'm so very grateful to the Long-Term Coordinating Council and the Dignity Fund Coalition. Without them, we would not be here today. So please give them a round of applause. And as you heard, um, we also have a great support and cadre of sponsors. Thank you very much for the sponsors, Meals on Wheels, uh, the San Francisco, um, uh, the SCAN Foundation, and also Metafund. So thank you for that cadre of uh, supporters. Without their work and support, this event would not have come together. Again, thank you for joining us today for this consequential and critical topic we are facing here in our beautiful state of California. Now, listen to this, and I'd see if you can feel this. California is a state of bounty and beauty. Am I right? Yeah. All right. A state of a powerful economy as well, and also well-documented riches. A state of diversity and migration. As I look around this room, that is so true. We are trendsetters in politics, innovation, and in culture. But we are also a state that is rapidly changing. Californians are getting older. Yes, I will agree, Californians are getting older. As a native, I'm getting older. For the first time in history, Californians' older adults will outnumber our youth. In fact, Older Californians are the fastest growing demographic. Within the next decade, we will double in our population. Many of us also don't know that here in San Francisco, this is always a shock to my friends, 
that one in three of us are over 60 years old by the year 2030. That means 30% of us will be over the age of 60 by 2030. And you know what that means? We all won't be eating avocado toast. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> Many of us are going to be living on a fixed income. We, were going to, we are going to face higher housing costs. We're more likely to live alone than others in others, other communities. And we are more susceptible to social isolation and the poor health outcomes that come from that. So simply put, many, many, many of us will be facing the unique challenges that we're just not prepared for. This is because our systems, services, and infrastructure, be it housing, transportation, or healthcare, are fragmented, under-resourced, or our formidable state, as I like to say, is just in crisis. We are all heirs all of us are heirs to everything that California has to offer. Because of this, we need a steadfast plan and then implementation to meet the needs of the state's aging population. At MetaFund, we are inspired and motivated by the critical work of our partners and those working in this space. Since 2017, META has granted out $5.5 million to older adults serving organizations. And we will continue to invest in these organizations because we want to work with and for older people. Not to them, but with and for older people. That is because we believe that aging and ageism is a social justice and human rights issue. And let me say one thing, one way or another, we all are going to be affected sooner or later. And this is because 14% of people 65 and older are living in poverty. Okay, people are living in poverty. So now I want to tell you a story about a dear friend of mine that was a colleague um, at a place I've worked previously. And I want to tell you her story because I'm sure you all can relate to that. Suzanne is 76 years old. She has had a job and has worked professionally all of her life. She is a California native, a Bay Area native, in fact. In the 70s, she was divorced and became a single mother. And through that transition, she has been unable to save enough money to prepare for her retirement. Additionally, she is still renting to this day. She commutes two hours each way a day, which is not unheard of in the Bay Area, as she works five days a week. Now, I'm sure you all can put a name or another story like this together. And the question that comes to all of us and to each of us in this is, what will be her long-term care situation? Who's going to care for her? Will there be an open spot in long-term care? Or will her daughter have to mortgage her house or stop working in order to have in-home care 
or to actually care for her mother? Will she be able to live with independence and dignity, which we all deserve? So this is why we are here today. And this is why we must continue to advocate and plan for a sustainable infrastructure and policies capable of supporting all of us as we age. The master plan for aging is not just a critical step towards readiness, it is our moral duty. Californians, that means all of us deserve an equitable and fair future. Thank you. So it's video time. As you know, Governor Gavin Newsom and Mayor London Breed were both scheduled to make videos. Unfortunately, the governor was signing um, bills over the last couple days, and so he has sent a statement of which we will put up on the screen, and I will also read about his support for this work that we're doing at this time in this state for all of us. I'll try to do his voice, probably not too well. <laughs> Thank you to the Dignity Fund Coalition for your tireless advocacy for older Californians and people with disabilities in my hometown of San Francisco. When we talk about California for all, we mean all. Older Californians and people with disabilities are part of the diversity that makes our state so extraordinary, and we must do everything in our power to help them fully live fully in our communities. Assembling the master plan for aging was one of my first priorities as governor. Hmm, governor. The golden state is grain. We will, we will be roughly 4 million older Californians by 2030, half of which in San Francisco will be, uh, one third of which will be over 60. And we are simply not prepared for this demographic shift. My vision for the master plan for aging is that it will serve as a blueprint that can guide the state government, local communities, private organizations, and philanthropy to build environments that promote healthy aging. Thank you all for being here and for developing innovative ways to care for the folks in every stage of life. Governor Gavin Newsom. Now I am pleased to show you the video from Mayor London Breed. Hi, I'm Mayor London Breed. I want to thank the Long-Term Care Coordinating Council and the Dignity Fund Coalition for addressing issues that are critical to San Francisco communities of older adults and people with disabilities. San Francisco has long been a leader in this area, and we hope to lead the way for California. It's incredibly exciting that Governor Newsom has laid out his bold vision in establishing a state master plan for aging. This plan will allow us to continue leading in areas like housing, transportation, health and wellness, and jobs. Earlier this year, we held a first-of-its-kind job fair 
for older adults and people with disabilities. We are also making Muni easier to access and funding more senior housing. Through these initiatives, we're working to ensure that everyone can thrive in our city. And I look forward to continuing to work with all of you to make San Francisco an even better home for people of all ages and abilities. Now, I am delighted to introduce today's moderator, Dr. Bruce Chernoff. Dr. Chernoff is president and CEO of the SCAN Foundation and a longtime advocate for older Californians. I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge that without the integral work on behalf of Dr. Chernoff and the SCAN Foundation, we wouldn't be sitting here today. As many of you know, the SCAN Foundation, in collaboration with West Health, have been leading the charge for a master plan for aging in California. In fact, in 2018, they launched the public awareness campaign, We Stand With Seniors, to highlight the need for a statewide comprehensive master plan for aging to address the growing challenges faced by older adults and their families and caregivers. And now look, we are here today that is just amazing. Thank you, Bruce, and all of the people who have worked tirelessly for this effort. And please give a hand for Dr. Bruce Chernoff. Thank you. It's been a long time coming. Yeah. <laughs> well, good afternoon, everybody. Okay, come on now. We've got all these people on live stream. Let's make a little noise. Let's, there we go. Um, I really appreciate the kind words, but I would say we're also here in large part because cities and, and counties like San Francisco have helped lead the way. So when I look at the comments leading up to my being up here and then my chance to moderate this discussion, um, this region has set the way about what does it mean to change public policy? What does it mean to make things work locally? How do we raise money to support a world that we all want? And I think that there's a lot that's happened here in San Francisco that will be incredibly meaningful to this statewide effort. Really want to thank the Dignity Fund Coalition and the San Francisco Long-Term Care Coordinating Council for organizing today's event, and really thank all of our friends at the Meta Fund, Janet, you in particular, but the entire team. It's, it is really an honor to be here today. And again, I just think remembering that this is about local engagement. So I think the state can put together a thoughtful master plan, but ultimately it has to work locally. Services are delivered locally. Um, this is a block by block, uh, district by district exercise. And, and I think this ground up conversation is incredibly important. Um, uh, to its, the, the plan's development and its implementation. So this, the governor has, as you heard through the words that were presented, um, called for a master plan. Th that's incredibly bold leadership. We haven't had a governor who's been this committed to aging probably in the history of the state, <coughs> to be quite frank. And so we should really seize this opportunity. But how do we make it meaningful? Um, and I've laid out one of the things which I think is so important, which is we start from the ground up, not just from the top down. So what you all think, how we make it hurt is incredibly important. So the hashtag, be a part of the plan, incredibly important. Um, the uh, leadership at the state has 
create a little portal for people to put their own ideas in called Together We Engage, I would ask every single person here today and those of you on the live stream, when you get home, go to Together We Engage and put your best idea in there. You know, shame on us if we don't put our best ideas in there. And after you've done that to the degree that you are part of an organization, a church, a temple, you're a service provider, um, the place that, uh, kind of the communities that you call home, you should be asking all those folks to weigh in as well. I, I think if we don't have um, substantial ground up input, we're not gonna get the plan that we all want and, and hope for. I think um, there's a few principles for me that are really important that I would ask you to hold the state accountable for as they do the work. And the first is leadership. And leadership for me is not just state leadership, which we're gonna have some of today, but also local leadership and the conversation between the two of them. I think that we need data-driven priorities. So one of the things I'm, I'm really struck by is we live in a world um, that somehow thinks older people are over there and it's all about the, um, service silos, provider silos, that we build policy. So aging is something we all do. This is not a master plan for the aged. This is a master plan for aging. So it's for every Californian, rich or poor, regardless of where you live, regardless of your ethnic origin, um, regardless of where you are on your life trajectory, this plan will touch you in your life at some point, whether as an older person today or an older person tomorrow. And so I think then um, looking for data is really important. That the policy priorities that are set out are actually data-driven and that we can hold state and um, local leaders accountable for how they develop policy and how they set investment priorities. I think it needs to be comprehensive. So as a physician, this is not a plan to like turn the healthcare dial one more time. This is, a, I'm all for making the healthcare piece more responsive, more efficient, and more person-centered. That's incredibly important. Um, people are only patients when they're sitting in a hospital bed in one of those lovely gowns that opens in the back or in the doctor's office waiting room. So we need to get to a place where we see people as people. And so we're talking about housing, we're talking about transportation, we're talking about nutrition, we're talking about how one enjoys their life. And a master plan needs to be comprehensive in that way. And finally, it needs to be accountable. That at the end of the day, that we can actually see that the plan that has been set out is being implemented, it's being revisited, it's being invested in. And if we're not getting the results we want, we should change our leadership, uh, just to be clear. This is an opportunity we must seize. Every one of you in this room is accountable for doing that with me. We do this together. And so with that, I really look forward to our discussion. And, and here's how I kind of want to handle it, because a couple of our speakers are going to need to leave at 3. I'm going to start out with some questions just to get going. But I'm way more interested in your questions and hearing me ask. So I'm going to ask a few. Then I'm going to ask for some cards to come up. Then I'll do a few. So we'll kind of go back and forth between you guys and me, if that sounds OK. And if your questions are better than mine, we're just going to do your questions, if that sounds good. <laughs> um, so with that, let me introduce our um, our wonderful speakers. Um, let me start with David Chu, who's the California State uh, Assembly member here in the 17th District, which includes Eastern San Francisco. He served as the um, uh, Assistant Speaker Pro Tem and is the chair of the Assembly Housing, Housing 
and Community Development Committee. Prior to this time in the state legislature, Assemblymember Chu served as the president of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Um, I'm pleased also to be joined by Norman Yee, president of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. Since 2013, Supervisor Yee has represented District 7 on the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. And since January 2019, he's also served as the president. I'm pleased to have San Francisco Board of Supervisors Sandra Lee Feuer. Supervisor Sandra Feuer is, um, represents the first district here in San Francisco. She's a fourth generation Chinese American and has been uh, proudly serving, uh, as proudly lived as a resident in the Richmond uh, district for over 50 years. Shireen McSpadden is our, the executive director of the San Francisco Department of Aging and Adult Services. Shireen has served as the executive director uh, here since 2015, and she has more than 30 years of experience uh, working with people with disabilities and older adults. Uh, Janine Parker-Martin, CEO of Leading Age. And Leading Age is a really important organization here in California that represents a broad range of home and community-based services provider, uh, providers in the not-for-profit not space. Before joining Leading Age, she served as CEO, president, and co-owner of the Corridor Group, and she's been active in healthcare for more than 30 years. And uh, finally, Senator Scott Wiener, who joins us from uh, uh, the San Mateo and San Francisco, northern San Mateo and San Francisco areas, in the, where, which he represents in the California State Senate. He was elected in 2016, and he focuses extensively on housing, transportation, civil rights, criminal justice reform, clean energy, and alleviating poverty. He chairs the Senate Housing Committee. So we have a pretty terrific panel. Um, can we give them a round of applause and a welcome? So those of you on the live stream, we couldn't hear you. We'd like it louder next time, if that's okay. <laughs> so let me start with our state. First, thank you all for being here. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely honored and pleased. I think the fact that we have this much leadership up here says that we're committed to a master plan that's really gonna make a difference here in, across the state, but particularly here in San Francisco. And many of you have had touch and leadership to this, uh, this work, and so I really wanna welcome and thank you for that. Let's kind of begin with the folks who, are, who sit at the state, uh, Senator Wiener and Assemblyman Chu. What, is your, what are your hopes um, for the state plan? As you think about what you want the state to do that would be meaningful in the plan to bring home to your constituents, I'd love to hear your kind of opening thoughts. And how maybe do, um, from the state perspective, how do you hope that those changes will influence service delivery and planning back here at home? Uh, either of you can start. Age before. <laughs> 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 it is age, you're older than I am. Uh, oh. Damn. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so uh, thank you for, uh, for having us, and uh, I think for Assemblyman Chu and I, it's good to be back. We just went on to uh, legislative recess uh, early Saturday morning after a tumultuous uh, end of session, as they often are, um, where all sorts of crazy things happen. Um, and uh, it was an interesting first year with our new governor, and I think the legislature and the governor were sort of feeling each other out. Um, and the good thing is that uh, Governor Brown is a fantastic, uh, you know, genius of a governor in many ways, but um, there were uh, definitely some disagreements, particularly around safety net uh, funding, uh, and Governor Newsom has been, I think, much more open uh, to those investments. 
Uh, and we know that when it comes to um, our uh, older adult population and, and our, uh, our neighbors who are uh, living uh, with disabilities, we have a, an enormous amount of work to do. And we, um, of course, we absolutely have to shore up and bolster and expand the IHSS program uh, so that people are able to remain in their homes and, uh, and so that uh, these uh, workers are being paid uh, a non-poverty, more than non-poverty, but moving away from poverty towards middle class. Uh, and, and we're drawing people into the profession because it is a profession taking care of some of our most vulnerable uh, residents and we want people to enter that profession and to stay there and grow there. Uh, it's in everyone's uh, interest. Uh, and, and, and so they're all the, some of this, sort of this, just the basic safety net that needs to be shorn up. But in the long run, um, we talked about this yesterday, we were on a, uh, David and I were on a uh, panel relating to IHSS. Uh, we absolutely have to move towards a, some sort of social insurance model uh, for long-term uh, care. We have a system, uh, and that has to happen ideally at the state, at the federal level, but if not, then at the state level, we have a system uh, where we basically tell people you're on your own and that if you're going to get state support, you have to spend down all your money and go into poverty and maybe your adult child may have to leave the workforce uh, to take care of you and go into poverty. And we're forcing families into poverty and the bankruptcy. It's just like, it's like the craziest, most ridiculous system uh, and we, we need a social insurance system so there so that people are paying in like we do with Social Security and Medicare uh, and, then, and then receiving those benefits when they need them. And so I hope that over time we can move in that direction. Sure. So uh, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me and inviting us. Um, and as someone who is invited maybe about a half a dozen times a year to talk about this subject, this is the largest gathering of folks who have cared about the future of, of aging and how California ages with dignity and in place uh, that I've been a part of. And I think it's a testament of just how important this issue is. In uh, the assembly, we often talk about the coming of the silver tsunami, the demographics that we know are about to, uh, to really place enormous pressures on our social safety net, on every social service system that we have because the fact of the matter is the one thing that all of us have in common is we are all aging. Uh, by the year 2030, I think the statistic is San Francisco, about 30% uh, of our city will be over 60. Uh, Scott mentioned the two of us were on a panel yesterday and I realized as I said that statistic, I will be 60 by the year 2030. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Just trying to join you, Henny Kelly. <laughs> um, and, and we have to figure this out. And we are, frankly, woefully unprepared. Um, and um, I was very happy to support the development and the, the movement around this master plan, because the point of a master plan is to go around the state and understand uh, not just the breadth of the experience, but the depth and the diversity of the experiences of aging. So, Part of what I'm excited about is the, the, the opportunity to address, again, the diversity of, of, of the situations that we all find ourselves in. Uh, and, and San Francisco, the Bay Area, given how diverse we are, um, we have a lot to add to this process. So regardless of what 
ethnic community you may come from, whether you are gay or straight, uh, whether you're a woman or a man, whether you have different health experiences or others, um, we all have something to add to the conversation. And um, aging is such a multifaceted experience. Um, we know from a, from a policy perspective, we have to address, for example, the housing needs of, of seniors because the rent is still too damn high and we've got to figure out how everyone ages in place. We have a healthcare situation that we all have to address. And unless we have single payer by the year 2030, which I would support, um, we have to figure out how all of us have healthcare that is affordable, how we all have long-term care that's affordable, how we can all afford, literally, economically, to live until, uh, until uh, as long as we can. All of these and more are the types of conversations and questions that will be built into the master planning process. Um, but I just, again, let me just end by saying, this is where it starts, when large roomfuls of folks who all represent very common experiences, but are dedicated to the idea that everyone should be able to age with dignity. When we come together and we say we need to get this done, this is how we get it done. So I, I feel really fortunate that we have um, representatives both from both the, the Senate and the Assembly here. Um, these folks need your voices to get this work done. They're not gonna do this all by themselves. So part of seeing a room full of people means after today is over, and for those of you on the live stream, even though we're still waiting to hear from you, um, it's really important that we speak up and keep the conversation going. These folks need our help to get this done. Shireen, I'd like to uh, turn to you for a sec and s sort of ask you to, uh, you know, take your magic wand for a sec and say, gosh, if the master plan works well, it could really help improve local services in the following ways. And maybe sort of tied to that is, is there a little wish list of things that you'd hope would be in it? You know, that list is really, really long. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I mean, Supervisor Fewer had a statement before she came in, so I'm gonna let her say that um, if she wants to. But one of the things that I think is really important is to really think about advocating for local flexibility. And what we know in San Francisco is that we're different from every other community in California. And every community in California has its own uniqueness. And local flexibility really works. And the reason we know that in San Francisco is because we have the Dignity Fund. Thanks to many people in this room, thanks to the San Francisco voters, and thanks to the leadership of San Francisco, including the, the Board of Supervisors um, and the mayor. So, you know, that we know that works. We've been able to play around a little bit with, with, I mean, I hate to say we're playing with money, we're not. We're actually, we've been able to really ask the community what the community wants. We've been able to ask people with disabilities and older adults in the community to tell us what they need. And we know that we really want to advocate for that to be a piece of the master plan on aging. I think the other thing that I think is really important that we've learned here um, and that we'd love to see in the master plan is real, a real integration of services for people with disabilities and older adults. We talk a lot about the master plan on aging and the reasons it's called that, but we in San Francisco serve people with disabilities, 18 and older, in our department anyway, and there are a lot of reasons that those programs should, should work together and not be siloed, and so I think that's another thing that we'd really like to see. Um, and then, you know, of course, we would love to see a ton of money go into this plan so that we can <laughs> execute all the things we want to, 
um, to execute. But, but then I guess the last thing I want to say is that we are part in, of this conversation in San Francisco that a lot of communities in California are part of, and that's thinking about reframing the conversation around aging. Um, with, with all respect to um, Assemblymember Chu, I mean, because everybody says silver tsunami, we, you know, we really want to frame that in a different way. You know, we have an older population, and that allows us to think about what can we do around volunteerism? How can the older population and people with disabilities really participate in the workforce? Um, you know, what are other ways that we can think about this? What is the social justice piece to this? And how are we thinking about all the ways that we can innovate to serve this population? And I think if that goes into that plan in some way, whatever it looks like, we, in San Francisco, I feel like for us, that will be some victory. Yeah. Let me turn to our, our, our uh, supervisors now for a sec, uh, supervisors Yi and Fewer, and kind of get your perspective at the county level. Um, what are some of the gaps you hope that the master plan could help close that would be really, really important in terms of, since so many of the programs actually ride on the shoulders of the city and the county, uh, and I think the more specific we can be, the better, because this is the kind of stuff we can then push for in the plan. I defer to the president first. Yeah. <laughs> well, Okay, um, I guess I don't have to wait uh, one or two or three decades to be a senior. I am definitely a senior <laughs> at age 70, so uh, these issues uh, um, are, are really important to me uh, personally, not because of me being a senior, but what I dealt with, and many of us that dealt with the older um, family members uh, before they passed away, and. So I've seen a lot of that with my mother, my father, my aunt, who I took care of um, before they passed. So, so a lot of it's based on the experience, and, and many of you in here probably have that similar type of experience, so where it becomes uh, very personal, like, oh, why do we have this? And why wasn't this service available? And what happened to these people that are on fixed income? Um, that, uh, oh, oh, by the way, they just got kicked out of their home and they're on Social Security or SSI and, uh, oh, you find, oh, they're 65 and they're homeless for the first time. So these are issues that we're grappling with and it's real important for us to, to find solutions for that because this, how could you contribute to society for all these decades and, and we don't take care of them? So. That's where I'm coming from with this, and, and I think it's a, there's a lot of issues that I've been thinking about uh, in which this master plan could be so, so helpful for San Francisco because we're struggling to find the solutions. Uh, as Serene was saying, you know, it's not just our older adults or seniors but that we uh, really are focusing on because the same issue applies to uh, people with disability, and that's why our Prop B, for instance, which nobody talks about, uh, it's just, you know, it's changing the name of her department and the commission that, that actually um, governs it to reflect that we actually have, a, we take care of people with disabilities. And it's, you know, it, it seems like it's, it's not a big deal, but it is such a big deal. I mean, because that population doesn't feel like they're part of anything, and we need to make sure that we change that name. Um, I think we're, we, we, we understand the housing problem um, that we're having in San Francisco. And I think this is, that has to be a big part of this master plan in terms of 
How do we house our seniors? What kind of housing do they need? Affordable housing. What, what happens with these people that are on fixed income um, that are making 15% of AMI when in San Francisco's uh, pr uh, practice for affordable housing is focusing on people that are at the 50% uh, AMI. Uh, that's average medium income for the area, which is, I don't know the exact numbers, but we're talking probably, you know, 60,000 uh, a year or something before you even qualify to uh, apply for affordable housing. So we're looking for those type of solutions where, wait a minute, the person's making 1,200 or 2,000 a month from the social security. So how, how can we get them to qualify if they lose the, the, the housing? We're doing some pilot uh, program around that. So we need resources because uh, other, if, without the resources, these are the people that will be homeless. The, I think um, it's real important for us to, f to focus not just on one aspect of the services that we need for older adults, uh, in, in particularly uh, as we want them to age in place, but we all know, well, no, we, uh, at least I know, that at some point I can't take care of uh, uh, my older relatives because of all the needs and uh, I need uh, some, somewhere to put them in, uh, whether it's called RCFE or uh, assisted living. And instead of growing that service in San Francisco, we, we continue to lose that service. And so what's left, not much, and guess what? If you really need it, especially if you're low income, you get shipped out somewhere uh, and lose your just support network. So we need to address that issue. We need to, to develop what I call um, a continuum of care in the same neighborhoods um, so that uh, people, when they get older, as you know, they, it's really difficult for them to move from one unknown place to another unknown place. So um, that's something that I'm actually trying to address and uh, put a pilot together. Um, where I'm aggressively pushing for development of what I call it continuum of care in San Francisco, um, uh, built over at the Laguna Honda Hospital site, because there's land there. So I, what I want to do is there's a hospital there for, uh, for seniors and people with disabilities. And so can we actually put independent living there, regular apartments, and then can we have maybe right next to another building or within the building, assisted living, so that they actually are in the same neighborhood. So we're aggressively doing that, but we, ha we don't have any resources. So part of the master plan is how do we address these incentives, tax, tax breaks that we, that's, that we do have a little of for affordable housing. And I've, I've talked to Simulin Chu about this. Well, but for building assisted living facilities, you don't have the same uh, tax credits. And that's bizarre to me because you're almost serving the same people and yet uh, it's, it makes it unaffordable for us to even build these things or look at it. So I could go on and on all the things that this master plan could actually address, but um, I really appreciate this effort and that uh, the Governor Newsom is putting together. And thank you for all of you for coming here. I, uh, just because you're here, I know you're, you're very dedicated to this issue like we all are up here. Thank you very much. Supervisor Fuhrer. Sure. Yeah. 
And I'd just like to echo, thank you for coming today. And I am pleased to hear from our state representatives that we're all on the same page. I, um, I'm Sandra Fewer, and my district is District 1. It's out in the Richmond District. And the questions that um, actually I grapple with around our aging population is very similar to the questions that actually my husband and I have conversations at night about. I am 62, my husband is 64, he's been retired since 2012. We are planning our later years and we have the same questions and concerns I have for myself or the same that I have for my constituents. The largest growing population in my district is a senior population. And I have to say, as a legislator now in San Francisco, as what um, Assemblymember Chu said, we are woefully unprepared. We've had a 25% reduction in board and care homes. We are trying to save 10 of them currently right now, most of them that actually serve our senior population. Our IHSS workers, the people who do home care so people can live in their homes, which has the best outcomes and is actually the most um, economically and efficient way for, to have service for seniors and disabled folks. They are an aging population themselves and they are currently making 16.50 an hour. In, the, in my district, the people that are being displaced into homelessness is, are basically seniors. I meet with them on a regular basis. They tell me, you know, Sandra, I retired 30 years ago. And so I know a $50 increase from a landlord might not be a lot to you, but to me, that is food money. And because they cannot keep up with this rental market, they are being rapidly displaced. So I think the master plan and with the quote um, that Shireen said, I said, because I say many quotes, is what would I like out of this master plan? The main thing is I want a shitload of money. Because <laughs> that is what it's going to take. And I think also fighting, you know, it's by no mistake that President Yee and I are leading on these issues, asking about senior employment. I am hoping to build the first senior playground or recreation area, actually, because we don't have spaces that we set aside with age-appropriate equipment. The issues that my seniors are grappling with are not also just about food on the table and housing, but it is about social isolation. It is about how you're seen in society, and it's crazy, you know. It's, um, so everyone at City Hall, you know, these young staffers, and um, basically most of the Board of Supervisors know I could be their mother. And um, I just find, even being an older person in the politics of San Francisco, um, you know, I feel like they're trying to feed me a pudding cup at 3 o'clock. It's always like, okay, let me get the glasses for you. Is the 18 font big enough? Um, so, and I just think when we talk about aging, there is this big stigma about it. So when Supervisor Yee and I talk about um, employment for seniors, People are like, really? Employment for seniors? You know, yes, because I have so many friends. One, in fact, is retiring, but knows at the age of 65, he must get another job. This is what people need to put food on the table. So I think we should be looking at our senior population as really an asset to our economy here. Who will fill these jobs that we have here that, you know, younger folks kind of don't want to take, you know? And also really need our experience. And we should be, ha be honoring part-time work. We should be honoring work that is at, and paying them at a, 
a good rate of pay for work that is maybe not 40 hours a week in a regular work week, because after all, I think most of us have worked a 40-hour work week most of our lives. And so I think when we talk about the support for seniors, yes, it's the safety net. And absolutely, I think that we have to prepare for their health care. We have to prepare for their housing. But really, the social isolation of seniors. I actually, I feel, I really feel for my seniors in my neighborhood because quite frankly, I live in a home, and this is the, what my husband and I always talk about. Um, I live in a home with a staircase that you have to go up to. And then I have to go up to another staircase to my bedroom. And last October, I just fell on the stairs and broke my arm. Do I think I can age there for the rest of my lives? You know, those of us, I think, that thought maybe our children would take care of us, the harsh reality is, I said to my husband, I looked him straight in the eye and I said, honey, we are on our own. And so, and what does that mean? It means that if you are of means, you might be okay. But if you are not, you are in a hell of a lot of trouble. And so, it is our responsibility, I think, these people who have given back so, their lives to the service, to, the, to San Francisco, building the livelihood of California and San Francisco, that it is time now that... California, fifth largest economy in the world, that we recognize the needs for our aging population and our disabled population. And not just, not so that, you know, we can feed you, you know. We, no, it is about how do we live viable lives? How are we interacting with each other? How are we multi-generational? And how are we designing programming for our seniors that actually is, um, so we stay lifelong learners, and so that we actually do things communally, so that we still have a, a peer group of friends of all ages, actually, because we're included in all these other activities in San Francisco that include all of us. I go to some districts in San Francisco, I don't see anyone over 40, and I'm just thinking, my God, get me out of here, because this isn't my peer group, but why is it like that, and whom are we building for? So. I would like, I have so many wishes. I know she's got a really long list. I have a really long list too, and I think everyone here does, because the needs are great. And because we have not prepared, and it is coming, that is why it is going to be very costly. And so yes, we have the Dignity Fund, $6 million. You know, if you had asked me before on this board, $6 million, wow, $6 million? I would have thought that's so much money. Now I think it's pittance. And I think that it is not enough money, not by a long shot. We're going to have to invest more, and we're, we're going to have to, as this population grows, we're going to have to keep reinvesting. We're going to have to be looking at things like our public transportation system, and if even a discount fare is um, discounted enough. We're going to have to be looking at how can um, our, our families, our seniors, who are homeowners, but can no longer make it up and down the stairs. Their homes are not functioning for them. How can we transition that into communal living, perhaps, or assisted living that is act then also turn some of the homes into affordable housing for folks. So I think there's a, just a lot of possibility, but again, I'm just gonna say the main thing I want from the California Master Plan is a shitload of money. <laughs> yes, so we are in fact speaking truth to power here about the Master Plan for Aging. Those of you on the live stream, I hope you saw the M for mature audiences only. So we're <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Jeannie, I'd like to I'd turn to you for a sec. You, you represent a distinct perspective on our panel. And I, I think about the array of providers and housing environments that your membership represents, all in the not-for-profit space. I'm, I'm wondering how you hope the master plan will be. Like, we've, we've heard a lot about both services and, and housing models um, from our esteemed colleagues here. And I'm, I'm wondering if, like, if you flip that in your head, what do you hope the master plan will deliver to help respond to the challenges that we've laid out? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a great question. And thank you again for inviting us and also to be a part of such a distinguished panel. This is uh, pretty awesome, whether it's R-rated or not. It's uh, pretty awesome. <laughs> So one of the things that I heard uh, several of you say, particularly the supervisors, is that this is very personal. Aging is very, very personal. What happens to me is the most important thing to me. What happens to my siblings and my parents and my friends, it's very, very personal. Where we live, where we get our healthcare services, and who supports us as we age. So as I think about the Master Plan for Aging, I'm honored to be on the Stakeholder Advisory Committee with Dr. Chernoff and have, at first glance, seen the early drafts of some of the thoughts that, are, um, that the department in Sacramento is working on. And they're making this personal. So what is it that I want? How do I want to live? How do I want to receive health care? How do I want to have workers support me? How much money will I be able to access? So that it is person-centered at its fundamental goal. And as I look around the state, our members represent senior affordable housing, home and community-based services, and retirement communities. They're all nonprofits, and they all represent older adults in some intergenerational housing and people with disabilities. So as I look at those, I get stopped, and I got stopped in the hallway today by a woman who was asking how could she find out more about housing opportunities in the state in her, in her particular community. Those are the kinds of personal questions that we need to understand on the Stakeholder Advisory Committee so that we can provide the advice to the governor in the Master Plan for Aging so that when you look at it, you feel that you're represented. You're represented. We're here in San Francisco today, but across the state, the same conversations are occurring so that we can understand if you're an older adult, if you have children living with you, if you have a disability, if you have a mental health issue, how are we integrating those thoughts into the master plan for aging? It won't be a perfect master plan, but what we do hope is that it creates a road map, map, map that by the time our assemblymen become 60, did you say 60? You're gonna be 60 in, in 2030? In 2030? When he becomes 60, that he will already have felt the impact of a roadmap that's going to help him as well as his family members and friends because it's personal. I also want to echo what the senator mentioned a bit ago, and that is the great demand and need for long-term services and supports, and the great demand and need for long-term services and supports financing. There has been some great work going on for the past 12 to 18 months in Sacramento 
that is trying to look at how we might be able to fund what we might be able to fund and what is actually funded in a long-term services and supports type benefit. Whether it actually evolves into a public benefit, we don't know just yet, but we're working hard to understand what are your needs from a long-term services and support standpoint. Who, what are the kinds of things you need to be able to live in an equitable health environment into an equitable community so that your needs are addressed. We also hope that through this process, we can continue to open our ears and our minds to be bold and not to believe that just because it's always been done this way, it has to be done that way in the future. So the plan may take some of you by surprise as it rolls out. It may be bolder in some respects. And it may, uh, we hope, that it addresses a need, uh, your needs, so that it's integrated, that it's collaborative, and that it's in partnership with you, the people who this is going to affect the most in our state and here in our county. You know, I've gotten so many great questions from the audience, and I'm, I'm, I'm super honored and, and want to be respectful of um, Senator Weiner and Assemblymember Chu, who had a prior commitment to today. And I want to make sure we get as many questions in front of the entire panel before we lose them at three. And frankly, I love your questions more than I love mine. Um, <laughs> so let me just open these up to anybody. Maybe we can take one or two. I've got a handful of them. So if, there, if, if a question strikes you, just grab it and let's go with it, if that sounds OK. Um, so one of the, uh, Benson from Portrera Hill has asked, how can the master plan address the important differences between urban, suburban, and rural Californians? Which I think is a great question. Um, any one of you wanna take a run at that? We heard uh, earlier this week uh, from the Department of Finance in Sacramento. And I'm sure that our state representatives have heard these statistics and perhaps looked at them previously. But a striking component is the disparities in populations, in age distribution, and workforce in different counties in our state. The disparities and differences between San Francisco County and Nevada County are dramatic. So I can't address specifically Potrero Hill, but what I can say is that at the master plan for aging, we will, in the master plan for aging, we will have to address some some needs slightly differently based on the geographic location, whether it's urban or rural, whether it's San Francisco, Nevada County, San Diego County, or somewhere else. Can I, please? Um, because I want um, our state reps to hear this. And um, the other area where I put a lot of attention is in early education and childcare. And, and um, we've battled this with the state where we all know that the Bay Area, San Francisco in particular, is a high cost of living. And, and yet, at the state level, the reimbursement rate uh, for our workers or contracts uh, to provide services is the same as if you were in Grass Valley or something. And, and, and you get twice as much for the buck in, in certain places. So there has to be a way in terms of if, uh, is, if it's paying for services that this should be differential 
uh, of uh, high cost of living types of, uh, uh, of areas. That should be really part of the master plan. This is, a, this is a really important issue that Supervisor Yi uh, raises that the state of California, for reasons that it makes no sense whatsoever, is, and it's not how the federal government does it, there's really no sensitivity to cost of living in different areas. Um, so for example, Assemblyman uh, Chu and I have legislative staff, or staffers that work in our district offices in this incredibly expensive city. They're on the exact same salary scale as, as staffers in district offices in Bakersfield. It's, they make, the, it's the same. Yeah. And, it, and this is not just true, this is true for all state employment. There's really, and this is a, you know, an issue that gets raised a lot, um, and it, it causes huge uh, stress, particularly in high cost areas. Uh, and, and that's why it becomes hard to even find people to do the work because you're paying them what amounts to a poverty wage, even though in other areas it might be a living wage. So this is something that the state has to grapple with. Um, we have not been able to grapple with it because obviously it raises significant cost issues because you're not going to lower the wage uh, in the lower cost areas. It's about raising those salaries in the high cost areas. And that's a big, big cost issue. But I think we have to at some point really deal with it. I'll add just a couple points to this. So this issue of, of disparities in reimbursement is one that we have fought as Bay Area legislators on many, many fronts. Um, but the challenge is the politics in Sacramento, I, I'm not gonna uh, sugarcoat this, are very difficult to, to move beyond that because we have many colleagues representing suburban and rural areas who look at the Bay Area and say, well, you are an economically successful region, so your region ought to be able to pay for the differential uh, and we come from more economically challenged areas, so we need the money just as well. So I don't want anyone to think that this is something we can wave our wands <coughs> overnight and do, but I do want to echo what uh, two things. Shireen's point about uh, the importance of not a one-size-fitting-all. This master plan is going to have to figure out how to create different solutions for rural California, suburban California, and urban California. That's just a reality. And for that matter, coastal California versus <coughs> California. But I, I do agree with, uh, with Sandy's comment um, that fundamental to all of this is we're going to have to invest a lot more money in this. Uh, the G-rated version of this, I think we need a boatload of money to make this happen. But regardless, um, we know we're going to have to shift in our budget um, how we prioritize it. This is important to us as a society. We're going to have to invest more in our healthcare system, in our social service safety net, in senior housing, in agent in place services, in economic and workforce development programs, all the things that will be important to deal with the multifaceted needs of our aging communities. So echoing this, I think one of the things that we think is really important in the master plan uh, that we are encouraging the governor and his staff to think about it. So to be clear, there's a uh, group uh, that the governor has named as advisors to the master plan. Um, so, some are actually here in the room. Um, I'm, I'm one of them. And, uh, uh, we have others up here who are as well. 
I, I think this idea that it needs to be both flexible and accountable. So the question is, how do we create appropriate kinds of flexibility so that we can do things that make sense in urban and rural areas, um, and then some accountability for how those things get delivered. So what are the outcomes that we all want so that at the end of the day, there's some way of knowing when we make a policy decision up and down the state that it can be implemented successfully and that we know the different regions are responding to the challenge in ways that make sense on the ground, right? So it's gonna make real difference in a rural area than say an urban area. Um, and that we don't try to have that one size fits all solution. A couple of other questions before we lose our state leaders that I think are really powerful. First, let me, let me do a show of hands. Um, and yes, this includes you on the live stream, so we'll be looking, looking for you. Um, how many of you have been an active caregiver in somebody's life, a family member or a close friend? Raise your hands. Even up here? Yep. And how many of you, leave your hands up please, and how many of you, so it's a lot. So for those of you on live stream, it's more than half the room. Even with the bright lights on, it's more than half the room. How many of you have had at least one moment that was incredibly challenging in terms of arranging care, getting a hold of somebody? Put your hand down if it was easy the whole time. <laughs> so, I, so I do think that this idea that it shouldn't be so hard and, the, and one of the points about the master plan is this is not just a master plan for people who are already poor and qualify for public programs. This is a master plan for all older people. And that caregiving it can be just as challenging right above the Medicaid line as it is just below the Medicaid line. So a couple questions with that in mind, and I'd just love to hear from everybody on the panel. Um, your perspective. So Carmen in the mission says, you know, I've lost three caregivers um, uh, this year alone um, because they can't afford to live here or even um, come to work here. Maybe building this is sort of a thread pulling from our last set of comments. What can we do if there are no caregivers? Um, because the, the, you know, the, the backslide is the emergency room. It's the hospital bed, which is a place that nobody really wants to be and not a great use of healthcare systems. So thoughts about making the caregiver program, and it's not just about San Francisco, but I think it's emblematic of the challenge up and down the state. How can we make that program more robust, support caregivers in ways that might be more effective? Well, I mean, obviously caregivers need to be paid more, um, but even if we were to do you know, a 50% increase in what we're paying caregivers, which obviously that's a big jump, it still wouldn't be enough to afford housing for the most part. And, you know, and this is an issue that I think is much broader than, than caregivers, right? We have, you know, you know this, because of our uh, anti-housing, broken housing policy in California, where we rank 49 out of 50 states in homes per capita and have a 3.5 million home deficit at all income levels, all income levels. Um, we make, and in San Francisco, we are the tip of the spear in a bad way. We are, you know, others are following us over the cliff, but we've gone over. And, and so we are hollowing out our working class, you know, folks who are in middle class, low, you know, whatever we call it, lower middle class, whatever, you, whatever the title is, folk, people who are working and who are not making a lot of money, but traditionally have been able to find a place and survive can no longer uh, find anything. I, I was talking to um, uh, someone who's a, a manager at a Starbucks in the city who says, you know, they're Starbucks workers. They are hemorrhaging workers to other places because they can't afford to live in the city and they live an hour away. Well, they can work at a Starbucks 
there? Why are they going to commute into the city? And so this is like all sorts of different jobs and professions that don't pay a lot of money where we are basically saying because of the decisions we made around housing for 50 years in California, uh, we don't want you in our city. But you know what? These are people we need. Uh, and, and in all sorts of different job categories where our lives are going to be worse uh, in many different ways if folks working in retail and folks who are at the supermarket and long-term caregivers and so on and so forth are unable to live in our community. And so that is a broader issue we have to tackle. I would answer the question uh, similarly. You know, Obviously, when you have home care workers and long-term care workers and others who are being paid poverty wages, that is the beginning of the conversation. We have to get a boatload of money to make sure that those individuals get uh, the support they need. But given the show of hands, we also know that there are many invisible members of that community. Yes. Uh, everyone who has a relative, you're taking care of your parent, you're taking care of your spouse, and, and, and thinking of how to support all of you and everyone who is that part of generation of, of this workforce. Uh, and whether it be uh, directly compensating those individuals or accommodating for how those folks are juggling what are essentially two jobs or three jobs at once with flexible schedules, uh, with compensation, with potentially tax policy, I think that's part of a conversation uh, we need to have as well. Um, I certainly agree with Senator Weiner when it comes to housing. What's driving up the costs and makes it incredibly difficult for, for these workers is that they're traveling two or three hours a day just to be able to take care of someone in someone's home for barely a minimum wage. And so there's an entire housing conversation here. And then the last thing I'll mention is, um, how many of you are familiar with the concept of, of aging in place villages? So I'm glad to see our, our village community members here. Um, when I was on the Board of Supervisors now, I think this was seven or eight years ago, um, I worked with uh, a group of folks in, in District 3 to provide this first uh, governmental funding to a agent in place model. This idea that there are lots of folks who are uh, who are aging, who don't necessarily yet need to move to an assisted living facility or to be in a very expensive environment as long as they have some assistance with the groceries, with everyday errands, with, with being able to manage some everyday things. And that is an infrastructure I think we need to do a much better job of investing in, in building in. It's, it's not just more efficient from a budget standpoint. It is to Sandy's point, a way of how we address the community building, addressing the, site, the social isolation, uh, addressing the fact that we want to have vibrant communities that fully integrate in all of our communities, people regardless of age. Um, so I'm a big supporter of, of thinking of how we fund those aging in place villages. <clears throat> well, I also think that if we we have to professionalize the profession, actually, of being a caregiver. Because they need to have days off. They need to be able to have, take vacations themselves. Having cared for my mother, who had Lou Gehrig's disease also, it is emotional. It is full time. It is, um, it is demanding. And it is physical. So I think when I talk to the caregivers in San Francisco, the uh, IHSS workers, you know, they tell me about the long hours. They tell me they don't get a day off. If they take a day off, there's no one to care for that person. They also um, 
tell me that there is very little professional development about strategies on how to work with people. And some of the people that they're caring for actually are not the most pleasant people. They're very unhappy people. And so when you're in pain and when you feel like your freedom has been taken away, you're not that happy. But also they say, you know, this this idea that we they're not we don't invest in them as professionals. And so I think that if we want to attract people into the profession of actually being a caregiver, then we should actually make steps to professionalize it so that they have the tools and the skills and the knowledge that they need to actually uh, perform their jobs in a way that they feel really successful and also the, the person that they're caring for feels good too. Sure, and I would say in, in addition to in-home supportive services, um, obviously the majority of caregivers are family caregivers, yes. and there are a lot of different kinds of programs that can support family caregivers, whether it's respite programs, it's the um, family caregiver programs where um, people are offered resources, and um, things like social day, adult day health, those programs are really important, and if the state plan could take some of those into account, those programs work. They're models that we've used for many years, but they're limited in terms of the number of people, of people who can access them for a, a variety of reasons that I won't go into. But I think it's really important to think about those and think about supporting families to care for people at home as much as they possibly can um, and to give them those resources like respite. Those, they're so important yes. because, like Supervisor Fewer said, this is a really emotional, very, very intimate job, and it takes a lot out of people to do that, and yet they want to do it, and they want to have the resources to do it at home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm going to start to kind of group a couple questions here, because I want to get as many in front of folks before we um, lose a couple of our speakers. So um, Charles from Richmond and Bob from Inner Sunset, I'm going to kind of put your questions together here. And but what, uh, again, a, a completely different direction. So what can we do to combat ageism in the master plan, and in particular, are there things that we can do to make the experiences and skills of older uh, adults and disabled adults more valued by employers? So I think it's a larger question about sort of changing the frame of how we think about aging and the role of older people in society and community. Thoughts? Well, I think some of the work of the SCAN Foundation with We Stand With Seniors has already begun to reframe the conversation about how we talk about people who are aging in our communities. As we are sensitive to certain words uh, and we develop the master plan for aging, aging, we will also integrate the sort of reframing of the conversation. How do we educate our caregivers? How do we talk about older adults in our communities? How do we make plans for those older adults collaborating and working together? The conversation, I think, has begun to change, and there is some great work that can serve as a framework for the Master Plan for Aging that has done some analysis on what sensitivities older adults have to certain language, how we respond ourselves to certain kinds of language, and also how it can improve our own uh, social well-being if we are treated and talked to and talked about in language that's supportive and not condescending or disruptive, perhaps. So I think as we think about the Master Plan for Aging, we will integrate those elements, but it's important to hear from all of you what are some of the trigger points for you as an individual. 
um, because there will, be, there will be themes that we'll hear, even though there has been some work that uh, precedes this particular effort. I, I think um, Supervisor Fewer spoke to this already, but I, um, it's something that on the Board of Supervisors have been um, supportive of in trying to get our older adults back in, into the workforce, whether they need to get back or whether they want to get back. Uh, people do it for different reasons, but the fact is, you know, the doors are not very wide open for them, and we're really trying to do things not only in the, um, in the uh, regular market, but also even within our own city government, uh, we could be a lot more aggressive about that in terms of inviting them. They don't necessarily want to work full time or can they work full time, some of them, but f for the experience and knowledge base that they have, they, could, they are so valuable when they're in working with you they could mentor people, they could do all kinds of things, and we need to do better. I was uh, uh, the, the um, I forget the president or vice president of the Western United Airlines. Uh, I sat down with her and she was, um, you know, addressing or talking about her concerns about not being able to find people in the workforce to work for in, in the airline industry because uh, the job market is so tight. And I said, well, have you ever thought of you know, reaching out to seniors that can do some of this work? And they'd be more than happy, and they, but you know, remember, they may not need full time. And she said, oh my goodness, I never thought of that. Um, and I tried to hook her up with the department to see how we could do this. And I think at the master plan, should really have a strategy on how we can uh, outreach to private companies to encourage them to show them the value that uh, we have as seniors. So I would just say um, we are doing a lot of work in San Francisco on reframing aging. And one of the things that I'm really excited about is that um, the Meta Fund and the Department of Aging and Adult Services and a couple of other partners are about to launch a big campaign in San Francisco to reframe aging. And so I want all of you to look for that. Um, I think we launch on October 14th. And really, we're trying to change the messaging about aging in San Francisco. But we have a lot of other things going on, too. Um, one of the things that we have going on is the, what's called the Work Matters Collaborative, which is something that um, really was the brainchild of the Community Living Campaign and Marie Jobling. Um, and that's a, that's a um, so that's an effort with community partners with a couple of different departments, um, Office of Economic and Workforce Development, Department of Aging, Human Services, to really um, figure out a way to have employers hire people with disabilities and older adults. Um, we have this workforce that's ready. You know, you were talking about people who might want part-time jobs, et cetera, and that Work Matters Collaborative is really thinking about how to do that, how to get <clears throat> to employers and make sure that San Francisco's friendly for older workers and workers with disabilities. And I think that's really exciting work going on. Um, the other thing that we're doing in San Francisco is we have an age and disability friendly work group. Um, we did, many of you were involved in the plan that we put together. We are now carrying that out. And really that's about making sure that all the planning in San Francisco, whether it's the built environment, whether it's transportation, all of the things that we all use and need 
are, are planned with an age and disability friendly lens. So if it works for anyone in San Francisco, it should work for an older person, it should work for a person with a disability. And we have a lot of physical challenges here, so that's really important. And I think um, the last thing I want to say is in addition to ageism, we really need to think about tackling ableism. And there's a real big intersection between ableism and ageism. They're, they're two isms that still happen. And so in San Francisco, we have a training through, um, the, through Senior and Disability Action to train healthcare providers, <laughs> to train staff, to train community providers on what, you know, really what it feels like for a person with disability to engage in society in San Francisco and how we as, as people who don't, maybe don't have a disability or have a different disability can be really sensitive to that and, and think about that. And so I think it's not just ageism. I think ableism is a huge conversation mm. that we all need to have across the state. I just want to add one thing also is that I think it's also important for us to really stand up for ourselves a little. You know, I think, so I, what I'm thinking about is one incident, incident where we had um, disabled population come to a meeting about a, um, the VISO Coalition wanted to extend Healthy Saturdays, they called it, because you could walk or ride your bike um, and close off traffic to Golden Gate Park. But the main thing that the uh, disabled community said was, so we are insulted that you call that Healthy Saturdays, and that it is implying that those of us that are um, in wheelchairs or elderly, they can't walk or bike, are not healthy. And I think it was the standing up to say, I am offended by that. So if we want to have a conversation about extending your healthy Saturdays, you're going to have to rename it because that is insulting to me. And I actually think it's okay to call people on it. It's okay um, for people to um, sort of minimize, when they minimize sort of who you are in society, you're, I think it's okay to stand up for yourself and say, hey, wait a minute, I just want to correct you, you know? And I think um, I myself have to catch myself too, you know? Um, and I just think, we're not sensitive enough to it. And, you know, we, I, the Bicycle Coalition, probably healthy Saturdays, we're all in to be healthy, but really how we define those things are sometimes offensive to other people, and especially people um, from our disabled and also our senior community. So I think it's okay for us to stand up and define it for themselves too. And everyone, I think, can see it as sort of a teaching moment. Before we lose um, uh, Senator Weiner and Assemblymember Chu, I, I've got a couple questions here that are related, and I think they're very kind of state-oriented. So I'm going to put them together. Um, so will the master plan integrate access to health care, mental health, and all the other kinds of LTSS services? And sort of linked to that, can we, can we think about better integrating or organizing or connecting state agencies and smaller service providers in ways that could be more efficient, maybe put money to work more effectively. I think the larger question is, is as leaders in the state legislature, like, how do we break down the silos that you know, have been built over 50 years where like housing's here and transportation's there and health is here? And love, love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, clearly that, that should be part of it. I, you know, I can't predict what the process is going to yield, but I, I think there is a growing awareness that it is all, 
integrated, as I you know, mentioned before, with the broader housing mess that we've created in California, it affects a lot of things, but it directly plays into you know, housing insecurity, uh, as well as uh, not having enough of a workforce to help uh, care for people. So, uh, and you know, of course, when people lack access to healthcare, healthcare, healthcare and housing in so many ways are like foundational to, to just about everything else other than like air and water and food. Um, and, uh, and so it's all, it's all linked and you can't view it in a vacuum. Now at the same time, uh, you know, the, well, if this, if this master planning process can solve the entire housing crisis, that's awesome, more power to you, please do it. Um, we, you know, we can't say that you know, this process is gonna solve all of California's problems that also impact uh, uh, seniors, but we have to absolutely acknowledge that these are all linked and, and try to move the dial on them. It's very easy for policymakers and those of us in government to focus on silos, right? You think of folks who are healthcare experts or housing experts or workforce experts or social safety experts, but that doesn't get merged together. And we know uh, that every person is a whole person and has a complexity of needs and challenges and visions about who they are. Um, in Sacramento, we are, as, as the Senator put it, we are trying to do what we can to break down some of these silos. I'll give an example around healthcare and housing. Uh, imagine, uh, it's very easy to imagine, unfortunately these days, imagine a chronically homeless Medi-Cal person on the streets. In other words, someone who is homeless, who's a senior, who is part of our healthcare safety net system. Uh, that person, as we know, because they're unhoused, because they're exposed to the elements, separated from their friends, uh, not being told exactly when to take medication, not being connected with providers. Um, they're cycling in and out of emergency rooms and, uh, and potentially uh, mental health centers and other social service centers and cost us typically $60,000, $70,000 a year. If that same person had a supportive housing roof over their head uh, with a caseworker, uh, with a home, it costs us about $20,000 a year. And yet, those two areas are siloized. We think about them in different ways. A couple years ago, Governor Brown signed a bill that I wrote called Housing for a Healthy California to essentially say, let's look at this category of individuals and think about breaking down the silos between those two silos. Multiply that by six, eight, 10 silos of all the issues we're talking about, and then you start to, to move forward. Um, unfortunately, Senator Weiner and I have to go to another hotel conference room just like this to talk about housing. Um, so we apologize, we need to leave. Um, but I think the last thing I would wanna say here is for me, the beauty of the master planning process is for us as a community, as San Franciscans, as Californians, to envision what, when we age, what do we see that vision for, for all of us? Uh, and that vision clearly entails everyone having a roof over their head everyone having access to the right to healthcare, everyone being gainfully employed if they want to, uh, but also being in a community that, that is vibrant and connected to them uh, if they want to as well. Uh, everyone who is disabled having a valued place in our society. Uh, everyone uh, being, being revered in our communities in ways that, that frankly seniors and those who are disabled are not. This is an integrated vision. This is not a siloized vision. Um, and we have to do all of these things at once. And again, the value of the master 
planning process is to say, we need to move forward on all these fronts at the same time in an integrated way with a boatload of money. Let's get it done. When as, <laughs> as you go to your next meeting, your next conference room, remember that housing is healthcare. It is absolutely a solution, and those numbers are so critical as we think about the master plan. To think that 50,000 versus 20,000, that's a big number difference that we can impact thousands, if not millions, of life in our state. So I think we need to continue to focus on housing as healthcare and how we can continue to improve the lives of so many uh, people, just not older adults, but people throughout the state with good housing. True. Realizing that you, you both need to go, we should probably take a moment and thank the senator and the assembly member for their time. Good to see you, senator. Can, can before, before you leave, uh, assemblyman and, and senator, I want to say that um, as the state is thinking about um, bond measures or housing for, you know, money for affordable housing, that you really try to think about um, putting a chunk of it into senior housing. Because one of the problems is that we haven't had that focus for, like I said earlier, about 25 years or so. And we're just losing ground. And it's easy for, um, if you just have one lump sum of funding that the senior folks or uh, housing for seniors or older adults and people with disability gets lost in the shuffle. And that's why, I don't know if anybody's of older in San Francisco, um, in November, we have a, a Proposition A, which is our biggest affordable housing bond measure that we've done in San Francisco. And instead of just saying 600 million for affordable housing, uh, what I uh, had everybody agree on is that 150 million of the 600 million would go towards uh, affordable housing for seniors. So. Thank you. You guys travel safe. Thank you for making time for us today, spending your Friday afternoon with us. The rest of us are not done here yet. I have plenty of good questions. Um, Jeannie, let me go to you. Here's a question as a, as a member of the advisory board that you might want to tackle first. Uh, so. Is it the intention of the master plan to address middle-income people who don't, do not qualify or maybe do not qualify yet for government services? Will they be included in the thinking and the planning? That's a very, very important question. Um, there is a very important category of people that are sort of called the forgotten middle. And a portion of what we've already been talking about is how do we think about the master plan for aging for all? And you heard that in the opening remarks. You heard that in, Gavin, in Governor Newsom's opening remarks. Um, and I think that we need to think about a roadmap, the master plan for aging for all Californians, which will take into consideration housing, care, and services regardless of your income level. We, we know the kinds of supportive services and funding that's available for very, very extremely low income. And we also know that there's probably a tail at one end of individuals who may not believe they need any funding, 
But as already talked about today, we know that each of us is impacted. I have a brother who lives in senior affordable housing and without services, he would have gone to the ER probably many, many times by now. And he has never gone to the ER because he has care and services and he has mental health, mental health issues, he has four chronic conditions, he has needs that have helped to have been solved by affordable housing and services. So each of us is impacted, and it could be any one of us spending down our resources to become eligible for other services, and that is not what we want to occur. We want to make housing care and services available regardless of your income level, and also that there are criteria that can help, help enable each of us to access services at the right point in time. And this may be an opportunity that Senator Weiner mentioned with long-term services and support financing. We've got, uh, we've got taxes for Medicare on our paychecks. We've got taxes for disability in our paychecks. Why can't we have an additional or some sort of capability of early funding for long-term services and supports that we might be able to access later. So this is a very critical question as we think of California for all. And, I, and we, as a committee, I know, will continue to think about what is it that each of us need, not just one or another group of individuals, but how do we fund the great diversity, how do we think about the great diversity? We, we want to fund it all, right? Um, but how do, we, how do we really think about this great diversity in our state at all, in all manner of speaking in those terms? So with our, um, our local elected officials here, um, a couple of questions. So I will say coming from Los Angeles, we have an enormous homeless problem. And if you look at our homeless count data in the Los Angeles area, Actually, the fastest growing population is older adults, um, which just sort of, I think, gets at the housing challenge that we face up and down the state, particularly in the urban parts of the state. So two questions, one from Victor in Chinatown and another from Jessica in Dogpatch that are similar. What can be done to stop seniors and people with disabilities from becoming homeless at rates that are higher than the general population? Sort of a linked question. We've alluded to this, but maybe we could unpack this more, and I think it actually informs the kinds of, if you have strategies in mind that would be helpful to see in the master plan, that would be great to articulate them. Too many board and cares and other residential facilities are closing in the city. What can be done to stop it? So thoughts, ideas for? Well, I think that um, we could be investing more, at, quite frankly, in housing subsidies. I think that, and President Yee can talk about this too, but in, more for deep subsidies for our seniors. Um, in San Francisco, it's been estimated over 50% of our homeless population or unhoused population are seniors. And I see it more and more in my neighborhood, quite frankly. And um, I think that, yes, we should be investing in things like more senior affordable housing, but also for those that are housed but that are at risk of being unhoused, I think um, these deep, we need to invest in these deep subsidies to help them pay their rent. It is going to cost us, and it is a horrible thing to displace a senior from their home and having 
having them being unhoused on the street. You know, there are many jobs also in San Francisco that have been eliminated in our society in general. And so, and right at that age point, um, we are finding that people are losing their employment. You know, you're about 50 or so, and all of a sudden your job's been eliminated. And it isn't immigrants that are taking jobs away. It's our technology. We are in another industrial revolution here, and we just don't have a safety net for them. And I think that, so this is, I think, the housing situation, the fact that uh, jobs are being eliminated, jobs that actually, working class jobs that people have had for years, things like, you know, a um, Safeway clerk, a, um, a toll taker. When I was growing up, we had toll takers. Those type of jobs are being eliminated. But I think people about 50, 55 are seeing their jobs being eliminated without new job prospects to take their place. And this is also an issue about homelessness. So investing in things, a safety net, such as our Free City College. So can we get certificate programs on board? These people who are soon to lose their employment, can we get them into another form of employment before they're unhoused? But offering subsidies to keep to bridge while they're able to um, gain a new skill. I think it's um, we have to adapt, quite frankly, to a changing San Francisco, but a changing world where I think technology is taking many of the jobs that we had taken for granted that were working class jobs of folks. And people, quite frankly, are, were in professions that they had done for 35 years or 30 years, not, an, not making enough to retire, but still need to work. We need to retrain them, them and get them in, into the workforce. So. <laughs> um, I probably have spoken about this already earlier, in which um, um, it's about housing, and it's about other things, but um, as I mentioned earlier, the people that are, the, the older adults that are, are becoming um, uh, homeless are not only older, but they are the lowest wage earners, and there are fixed incomes, as I mentioned earlier, that they can't even apply for affordable housing uh, currently. So this year, um, and I, you know, uh, we, I use this acronym SOS. It's a pilot program that we just started this year. We put five million into it, so we could buy down the uh, the units of new units, so that people that are making 15 percent of AMI could actually um, uh, qualify to apply for these these uh, housing. So if you have the poorest coming in, getting evicted uh, currently, then they will be homeless. This, 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 they can't pay $3,000 for a unit. So um, we don't have the final answer for that. We need resources for that. Uh, the five million will probably buy down maybe 200 units or something uh, and um, and that's, I think that's, that has to be a priority for the city in terms of uh, where we're going to put our tax dollars because otherwise you're not going to solve anything. You're not going to solve anything by uh, trying to get people off the street and then be successful by getting 2,000 off the street last year, but 5,000 are coming into the street. And we need to do something on the back end or the front end to make sure that there's enough housing for people. And I think the other piece is that um, as we're, as, as some of our older adults are needing more than just independent living, and I've talked about this, whether it's uh, putting them in a nursing home or what we call assisted living, 
we're losing them, and, and all of a sudden, it's like they don't know where to go. Um, so that's another issue that I think we really need mm -hmm. to address. That's, um, that's why I was pushing um, our departments to figure, help me figure it out, to build this continuum of care uh, concept at, at Lagoon Honda. I want to put about 300 uh, units up there. And, and, but uh, talk about silos. I mean, uh, no, no insult to any of the department uh, workers, but, but it's like, oh no, we don't, uh, I only do affordable housing. Oh no, I only do health stuff. Oh, uh, you know, so, so, uh, so the answer was it can't be done. <clears throat> and, and I think we need to get out of that um, uh, sort of silo thinking that no, it can't be done. In fact, you know, through my staff's effort, we've, we figured it out for them, uh, for, for the city, and we're aggressively uh, pursuing it at this point. And that's just the beginning. I mean, if we could get 300 units up there, we're gonna hopefully do others like that, where, you know, we can have the continued here so uh, people don't have to be living on the streets. So I think please support uh, that effort and let your supervisors know that the SOS, I wish I knew what it stand for, it's a cool acronym, but <laughs> what is it? Senior Operating yeah. Subsidies, yes, thank you. Um, um, make well, sure. Save our seniors. Yeah. <laughs> Save our, that works too, so go for SOS. <laughs> I was just gonna add, yeah, I think the housing subsidies have been very successful in San Francisco, both project-based and tenant-based. Um, but another program that could really be extended in the master plan is a program called HomeSafe, which is a pilot program through the Department of uh, Social Services. And it's, it, what it does is it really um, creates a collaboration between homeless departments and adult protective services for people who are really at risk, who may have complex behaviors that make it hard for them to stay housed. And um, those kinds of programs really, at least really work in San Francisco where we have people who are just on the edge of not being able to keep their housing and who really need that extra support. I think the other thing that um, we've done in San Francisco, or the Long-Term Care Coordinating Council did, was a, um, a study of the assisted living situa care situation in San Francisco, and they really come up, came up with some great recommendations on you know, how, do we, how do we really save what's here, how do we support operators, and how do we think about ways that we might expand the, the assisted living housing stock, and we'd be happy to share that report um, with the master plan members. So that's a, a I went, yes. So that's a lovely place for me to take the last two questions before I uh, uh, turn the discussion back over. One is, so there have been plans before. Why is this one any different? And, and why is there any commitment to implementing a plan? I guess I would say two things to that. So the first is, um, there have been plans before, but they've often been done by one branch of government or one committee or one committed legislature who's sort of a champion at a time when nobody else was listening. I, I'm going to argue that we're in a different time and place now. Part of it's the demography of the state of California, but look at the outstanding leadership from across, you know, from each level of government across San Francisco city and county who've been with us today. And I think if you look, we have a governor who, well, by the way, comes from here, right, who made this a policy priority in his campaign, and it is one of the key things that he chose to act on in his first year. If you know anything about the role of governors and their um, efforts to create their own legacy, it's what you do in your first year that really sort of sets the parameters for the four to eight years you might be in office. There are at least five
had really significant bills in the state legislature this year coming from all different places about aspects of the master plan um, with really strong, thoughtful vocal leadership. We have a, a treasurer who is personally deeply involved. It's, it's, it's incredibly uncommon that we see this kind of leadership at the state level and then tremendous, like listen to the voices we've heard up here today at the local level and we just need to support um, those local voices and replicate them in other parts of the state. So um, I'm really optimistic. Like this is the moment where we get a plan that we can actually act on and shame on us if we don't create that plan. And then the last question I wanna take is how do we all be involved moving forward? So there will be more listening sessions like these. You have legislators here at the, at, at the county level who will be pushing the state to do things. You have state elected officials. Um, the, the state has put in place avenues for you to give input. So the um, Together We Engage is one of those and there will be others in the future. I just think it's very important that we speak up. The themes that we've heard today about housing, about transportation, about integrating services, about making sure that it's for everybody, not just people who are already poor, but it's for all Californians. And that ultimately it's about partnership. It's about the public sector, it's about the private sector, it's about philanthropy. So let's together make this the master plan we want. And I really want to thank our panel for a terrific job. <laughs> All right, so we would like to thank our fantastic moderator, Dr. Bruce Chernoff again, and then I'm gonna <laughs> and then I'm gonna thank our panel again, and I'm gonna say their names, and then we're gonna give them one more round of applause. So we have Assemblymember David David Chu, who had to, to depart unfortunately. Um, we have Supervisor Sandra Lee Fewer. We have. Executive Director Mike Stanton, we have Jeannie Parker Martin, we have Senator Weiner, and we have President of the Board Supervisor. You give them all one round of applause. There you go. We also want to, um, on behalf of the Dini Fund Coalition and Long-Term Care Coordinating Council, we are so grateful, again, for the support of MetaFund, um, SCAN Foundation, and our leaders, Janet Spears and Bruce Chernoff. Please give them another hand. We also really want to thank the staff and leadership of Meals on Wheels San Francisco, of Homebridge, and Community Living Campaign. They have all provided resources. They have actually staffed this event, uh, and we couldn't have done it without them. We also want to strongly really thank Andrew Adams from Homebridge, who has done an amazing job as far as producing this event, Woo! planning this event. Could not have happened without you. We are so grateful to you for it. And lastly, we just um, want to really make sure and thank all the adult, older adults and adults with disabilities that call San Francisco their home. And we want to make sure and promise to all of us that we are going to carry this through. We are going to see what all Californians can do and make California a better place for all of us. And this really is only the beginning. So we want to make sure and do this again. We want to make sure and all really work together. 
and let this be the beginning. I do have a couple housekeeping items. So there are so many amazing questions that included some incredible comments from all of you. That will all go towards the master plan stakeholder task force. So we will make sure all those questions get heard and answered. We also have one electronic device um, that we found and it is at the registration table. So if you think you're missing that, please go to the registration table. But again, thank you for all for coming and the commitment to California, place for all of us. Yay!